Addiction is a disease that impacts all of us. Whether you, your neighbor, friend, or family member is struggling, everyone feels the pain of addiction. Recovery Centers of America, Monroeville, wants you to know that addiction treatment works and recovery is possible. Call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW for help for yourself or a loved one. Recovery Centers of America have helped thousands of patients across the United States and here in Western Pennsylvania start a better, healthier way of life through their evidence-based inpatient and outpatient treatment programs. The caring team of physicians and clinicians at Recovery Centers of America see their patients as so much more than their addiction and are deeply committed to providing expert care with heart. Recovery Centers of America knows that every day in active addiction is a day in isolation, which is why they admit new patients 24-7 year-round. Don't wait. Make the call that can change everything. Call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. Onto an LP, one EP on side A and one EP on side B. Does it become an LP or is it still an EP collection? Hmm, that's a difficult question. I automatically want to say it becomes an LP at that point. Interesting. I, I guess in, in a literal sense, an extended play has become a long play, like like in just like a literal technical sense. So I suppose yeah. you're right. Uh, hmm. <laughs> From what we've been doing today, uh, oh, hey, hi, uh, welcome to our record store. I'm Seth. This is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Uh, I, I've been Googling a lot, like the technical definition of an EP, what makes an EP, why is an EP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's actually like surprisingly like logical and very no. specific, but also kind of broad. But, um, oh, hey, hi, look who's here. It's Matt LeMay. Hello, oh. sir. Hi. Hello. It's me. <laughs> Welcome to the store. Uh, we're, we're just talking Thank EPs you. and I'm, I'm sure you could hold your own in that conversation. You want to join us? I, I, I'm not sure if I can hold my own, but I'm happy to join you. <laughs> um, so basically, I've been doing EP research because uh, Tara and I were, you know, every day around here, we play the high fidelity game. We count down our top five mm -hmm. favorite somethings. Today, we're going to talk about EPs. And it's all very technical. What actually makes an EP? Because there's a lot of stuff that people call an EP, but isn't actually an EP. The, the, real, the real facts, if you're really narrowing it down is it's three to seven tracks and up to 28 minutes. Yes, I, I <laughs> as well have encountered this definition. And um, I, I wonder, because I, I could think of a lot of three-song singles, mm. which 
are clearly singles in that there is one song, perhaps one B-side, and then a remix or similar throwaway. Not that all remixes are throwaways, but most remixes are throwaways. <laughs> so I, I'm very excited to talk about this with you because I think EPs are one of those things where no matter how hard we try to reach a shared textbook taxonomical definition, there will always be phantom definitions floating around in our minds based on expectations, experiences, and just our own feelings and beliefs about what EPs are or should be. So it's a, it's a, it's a tricky subject. It, it is. Yeah. It was tricky for me because it's like, what? I can't remember which albums are EPs. I just remember what I like and what I don't like, you know? Right. So I don't rem- I don't think I have a really note, oh, this is an EP, and, like, remember that. So it was, I know I probably left a bunch out that are, like, EPs that maybe I just thought, oh, well, this isn't, you know, that's an album in my mind, I guess. But, well, I, I mean, yeah. one thing I love about an EP is it feels like a snack, Because like I I have this terrible, terrible habit, which honestly I I think ultimately serves me well, but in general it's inconvenient. I can't listen to just part of an album. Like like if I'm listening to an album, I have to listen to the whole thing from beginning to end, period. Like that's the only way to do it. And ultimately I think that's good because it means I miss out on less because, you know, I I don't, you know, just, you know, uh, listen to just some singles too often and get tired of them. It also actually makes my music library a little bit better, I would say, because I don't mm-hmm. buy anything that I can't listen from beginning to end, which which I also think is a positive. But um, that's also why I love an EP, because if I'm up to something and I, I obviously have to listen to the whole thing, but I only have 15 or 20 minutes, EPs slot right in there, you know? Right. So, so honestly, today's list, top five EPs, which is what we're doing today, it's the hardest one I've done so far, to be completely wow. honest, because... Just yeah. b- by that definition, and, and and I did limit it. I limited the definition of what would actually make my list by that technical criteria, three to seven tracks up to 28 minutes. I know I didn't have to do that. I'm not expecting either of you to do that, <laughs> but Good. that was a way that um, I was able to limit my um, my options to, to help narrow it down. Because otherwise, holy cow, when we get to our um, honorable mentions towards the end, our short lists... I'm just going to rattle off a bunch because there are so many <laughs> that I really love. And um, I, yeah. I, what, what could I do, you know? So you guys ready to uh, to kick this off? Let's do it. Yeah. I'm All ready. right. My number five. The year is 2011. The name of the EP is Freaking Out. And it's by a little man named Toro E. Moi. So the main thing I really love about Freaking Out is it really established that Toro Imwa is going to do whatever the fuck he wants whenever the fuck he wants to do it. <laughs> because like when he first came out with like Causers of This, it was like, oh, he's a chill wave guy. Him and Neon Indian are going to go do this thing over there and that's cool, but whatever. He's a flash in the pan. He's a gimmick. He's going to come. He's going to go. But then uh, Underneath the Pine came out. And I was like, oh, shit, look at him. He's stretching these boundaries. He's trying these new things. So uh, I, I don't know if this is going to stick with him. But, you know, at least for now, Toru Moi is more than just what I thought he was, just a chill wave flash in the pan. But then, very soon after, I, I, I think it was just a few months after Underneath the Pine, Freaking Out came out. And I was like, oh, shit, he can do whatever he wants. Toru Moi is very talented. And he's going to 
like impress me because now all of a sudden um freaking out has kind of like a funk boogie r&b 80s vibe and i was like oh you're doing this now too great i'm i'm, I'm all for this i love this hooray congratulations uh i, I don't know what, what what are your two uh both of your thoughts on uh, toro y moi in general you said this ep came out after underneath the pines this was or yeah pine? almost almost directly after so it went oh. causes of this underneath the pine and then this just a few months later Interesting. I actually don't know this EP, but I loved Underneath the Pines so much. It was so good. Yeah. It, it, it To me, like when you think about the albums in your head that are like contemporary classics of like, oh shit, like this is, I'm not going to go down to 10 out of 10 because that's a very hard thing for anyone to live up to. But if you're going to give something, you know, a, a very high recommendation, yeah. <sighs> It's one of the few. It's one of the few in the past, you know, let's say twenty years. Oh, let's let's say ten years. That um, that uh, uh, jumps jumps those heights. You know, gets up there so quick. You know, it's funny. I think for me, <laughs> as I said, I'm not sure I can hold my own in this conversation. But let's see where this goes. <laughs> twenty eleven was kind of peak me being exhausted with trying to keep up with pop culture, and mm. the chill wave thing hit me hard and bad. Um, coming off of my own band's kind of dissolution in, in, in 2009 and my own just kind of shithead nostalgia for what I considered to be the glory days of indie rock, which it took me a long time to break out of, um, though, as you'll see from my list, I'm probably <laughs> not fully out of it. I, th I think anything that carried that day glow chill wave aesthetic was so immediately off-putting to me that I did not give any of this stuff a chance. And you are reminding me that I should go back and give some of these things a chance because <laughs> I've had a chance to do a little bit of thinking and learning and growing since then. And my uh, immediate negative reactivity to things has been dialed way down. I've kind of come to love music again, which is great. <laughs> it's really hard to keep up with everything because just looking, I mean, if you're saying this EP came out right after Underneath the Pine, there's another mm -hmm. album that came in between maybe because I really liked the the one after that one even, which was, I think, Anything Something had rose quartz on it and all those other songs. I know what you're talking about. I, I want to say like... Anything in Return. And that was in 2013. But like, yeah, I, I didn't even hear the album before that, but... Uh, and and now an EP also before that, but underneath the pine, I really liked, mm -hmm. and so yeah, has somehow missed two releases in between those two albums that I really liked. So it's hard to keep up, even if you're feeling a little like, you know, turned off by new music. He's a very <laughs> prolific dude, and, and no, and, and plus, honestly, keeping up with music because I have a lot of friends who really aren't into that. It, they aren't really into music, and but they see that I'm very into it. And the number one question I get asked all the time is like, how do you even keep up with all this? And it's like, yeah, it takes a lot of my time. Yeah, I, I check stereo gum <laughs> five or six times a day, you know, like it's 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 a tiring thing. But I think all of us and I think most people who are music fans in the world, they do that because they really like it. Like, I don't think it feels like a chore too much. Would you guys agree with that? Mm, not a chore. But I'm, I can be very picky. <laughs> <laughs> I think it kind of depends on the mindset with which you're approaching it. I know that for me, when I feel like I am behind and I am trying to catch up, I rarely get much enjoyment out of the process. Mm -hmm. But when I 
I'm drawn in by something when I hear a song or I hear a new artist and I go, ooh, I like that. I want to know more about that. When it's coming from a more abundance-based mindset, then I am so happy to be led down whatever rabbit hole it is, whether it's new music or whether it's non-net new music that I am discovering for the first time. If I can get kind of pulled into a world, then it is a very joyful experience. But if I'm just kind of trying to force myself to have ambient knowledge and opinions for the sake of ambient knowledge and opinions, then I will not retain the knowledge and my opinions will be those of a jerk. <laughs> well, this, this I think, factors in. Um, so, Matt, you have been a music journalist. I have You indeed. have written for Pitchfork. You've written a 33 and a third book. I have. Do you think that those elements of it becoming an obligation, it becoming a job, do damper your enjoyment of music and perhaps even the, um, I guess, the obligation over overrides perhaps some of the uh, discovery and the fun? I think it's sort of what's certainly part of why I stopped writing about music. Mm -hmm. When I started writing for Pitchfork, I was 16. I had no idea that anybody else cared about the music I cared about. I had just kind of discovered indie rock on the internet by accident, and I wanted to talk about bands that I loved. And I would get my sack of broken jewel cases every month (laughs) and just excitedly listen to the CDs one by one and be like, ooh, this is awesome. Oh, this one's terrible. I'm going to say how terrible it is. Um, But it felt, I mean, also in 2000, Pitchfork was not nearly as big a deal as it was. Right. I would write a scathing review of some Chicago emo band and get a hundred flame, flamey emails from their fans. And that felt like part of the game in a sense. Um, I didn't feel like I was making or breaking or really even affecting anybody's career. I was just having an opinion and participating almost being like a heel to use wrestling language in this indie rock world where we all had our our teams and our beliefs and our disagreements but the disagreement was part of the fun you could get 10 people who loved indie rock in a room together and they'd all have a favorite different 10 bands and that was part of the fun of it but i think once once it became clear to me that I needed to have opinions about a lot of things. I needed to keep up with those opinions and I was not psyched on it anymore. It Mm -hmm. just felt like an irresponsible thing. You know, I didn't want to be that person whining about how music isn't as good as it was during the good old days. Uh, That's no fun. And there are so many amazing young critics, especially young critics who are not, like white guys who are nostalgic for indie rock. And it has been a great joy of mine to watch like awesome, excited young critics take the reins and change my perspective and like get me into stuff that I wouldn't be into otherwise and reshape my opinions towards pop music and towards a lot of other things that I used to be very opinionated about in a less than ideal way. So yeah, I think It took me years to get over that sense, but I'd say in the last three or four years, I have felt completely unburdened to just discover new music with that same sense of joy and wonder that I once had, Uh, as you suggest, Seth, largely because I do not have to have an opinion about it and write about it. Just be like, oh, this is cool. I like it. (laughs) You're absolutely right, though, that um, Pitchfork did have a completely different vibe back then, back when you were writing for them. I still remember an article. No, no, it was a review. It was a review for the band Jet. 
It was a gif of a monkey peeing in its own mouth was the whole review. That would not fly today. Pitchfork wouldn't do that now, you know? I've I've heard about that review. It's it's the gif is gone, but the review is still there and it is a big goose egg. And it's oh. like one one of the only ones besides another one that I know <laughs> that I know about. Oh, we'll get there. We'll talk about that. It's all good. <laughs> It's funny because to me, even that is is a latter era of Pitchfork. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the era that I remember joining for was very, very, very kind of inside baseball. I remember we once took the site offline for a day because we didn't want to update it. And we added this really slanderous made up gossip about Jim O'Rourke because <laughs> we were feuding with Jim O'Rourke, which again was very Chicago circa 2000. Right. But it was very we like I don't think we would have even reviewed Jet because who cares about Jet? I remember during my kind of class of pitchfork writers there was somebody who tried to review submit a review of Madonna and we were like why would pitchfork review Madonna? Who cares? Um, which again gives you a sense of what a different publication Pitchfork was circa 2000, even versus circa 2003, 2007, and then kind of veering into the more modern era of Pitchfork as a thoroughly mainstream music publication. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, but we're we're counting down lists, so let's we get are. back yeah. into that. Uh, number four, the year is 2009. The EP is Shabazz Palace's The Artist. Is Shabazz Palaces. Mm-hmm. The thing I love most oh, nice. about this EP, um, obviously it's just good because everything Shabazz Palaces has put out is good. So um, that's obvious. But the other thing I really dig is that when this is the debut, this is the first Shabazz Palaces release. When this came out, no one knew that it was Ishmael Butler from uh, Diggable Planets yet. It, it, it was all completely anonymous. He was just Palisir Lazaro. He was just this, this new guy and nobody knew what it was, where it was. And people attached themselves to it and really dug it and started following it based on its own merits entirely. It wasn't a nostalgia ploy. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, uh, Hey, you liked me before. Now you'll like me again because you already have like an affinity or connection to me. It was this new project that people liked. And then afterwards went, Oh, it's diggable planets, you know? And that's, that's a fun trick because that trick can backfire really easily. But in this case, Ishmael Butler is so good that it, it, it won, you know, and then no one really knew that it was him until um, they reached a point where they had to start doing live shows. And then look, it's Ishmael Butler on stage. You can't really trick that part. So uh, yeah, that, that, that was my number four, uh, Shabazz Palaces. That's cool. Yeah, I actually didn't know about them until that 2014 release. Um, which one's that one? That, that, that's Le- not Black Up. Which one is that Les, one? Les Majesty. Oh, Les Majesty. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that one's great. I really enjoy that one. I don't know how one. to pronounce it. Yeah, it's such a such a good album. I, I don't but know how to as pronounce soon it as I, <laughs> As soon as I heard it, though, I became an instant fan. And I've seen them twice live now, too. And they're just so good. Me so too. Good. Um, one of my favorite shows, not, not to... Um, 
keep talking about Shabazz Palaces, but why not? Um, <laughs> why I got not? to see one of their sets in the Blue Room at Third Man Records. And then they, they, they always do that really great thing where they record a lot of their live shows in the Blue Room directly onto vinyl. And then when the concert's over, you just walk over right next door to the uh, gift shop of the record label and you say, oh, one please. And then they'll mail you a copy of this concert you just saw on vinyl that they cut live to acetate right there while they were playing. And it was great. And, and plus they did a that's cover awesome. of um, Fell in Love with the Girl, which is, come on. I mean, that's just that's just fun. <laughs> why wouldn't you? If Jack <laughs> yeah. White is standing in the room, he's like right over there. Why wouldn't you do a White Stripes cover as Ishmael Butler? I mean, that's fucking cool. Yeah. I wonder, like, what is Jack Black? Or sorry, Jack Black, LOL. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Jack White. Think about uh, that those kinds of things. Like when people do covers, I feel like he'd probably be annoyed, but when you're you know, Shabazz palaces, it's probably really cool. Yeah. I I would bet depending upon who it comes from, it's probably a compliment coming from, you know, someone else who is a established, wonderful musician and they're there like in your home, almost like paying homage to you. I feel like it'd be a compliment, right? Yeah. I would imagine so. Seth, I have a a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they would have been able to pull off the secret identity trick had it been a fully hyped and promoted full-length release as opposed to a debut EP? I don't, and I have evidence to back that up. (laughs) You ready? (laughs) Another MC who tried this trick, and actually I would barely call him an MC, I'll just call him a musician, was Flying Lotus. Flying Lotus tried the secret um, MC route, and that secret came out before I even heard that he was trying a secret project. Like, I found out that he was releasing a secret project before I knew that the project was on its way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I actually really, really enjoy. Um, um, so when Flying Lotus was pretending to be Captain Murphy and everyone knew, hey, Flying Lotus is, has a secret identity, which is Captain Murphy. Here's the new album. And it was so fast. It, it, didn't, it didn't even matter. It, 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 was, it was this, the secret was the same day as the solution. And that's no fun, you know? Like, the whole point of the secret identity, and I think um, I think MF Doom uh, leaned into this a bit too in the beginning, at least before people figured out the secret of him as well, was that um, it's a lot more fun to get an honest reaction from someone if they don't know who you are and what your history is. Yeah, um, I, I actually this is this is now jumping to a completely different medium. Lucy Liu played the same trick as a traditional um, artist, as, as like a painter and a photographer. Huh. She, she, she went by a different name and like, you know, did like the gallery scene and did all this stuff. And, and she got success on her own. And then someone like at a show was like, wait, aren't you fucking Lucy Liu? And she's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, I guess we're doing this. All right. Yes. I'm Lucy Liu. I'm also a traditional visual artist. All right. And look up her art. Lucy Liu makes great art. <laughs> I will look it up. Yeah. Um, so anyway, anyway, I'm sorry for being long, so long winded. I'm going to try. I'm, tra- I'm going to try and go a little faster. <laughs> My number three. All right. Um, the name of this band is actually includes a word I don't like to use. So I'm only going to say the word once. So you know who I'm talking about. But then I'm, I'm just going to refer to it as this band and stuff like that. OK, <laughs> so uh, the year is 2013. Uh, the EP is I Have Lost All Desire for Feeling, and the band is Perfect Pussy.
do y'all have any affection for this very brief moment when this band was alive and thriving and playing live shows? I remember this brief moment where it kind of felt like old school hardcore was going to come back and save us all. Yeah. (laughs) And then it didn't. Yeah. And I, I think part of it is that really good punk and really good hardcore bands tend to burn out really fast. And I think that's part of the charm. I, I don't I don't think punk and hardcore needs to last forever. I think a, just a big, quick punch in the face is good. Because, yeah, I think this band, uh, I think Gloss, uh, G-L-O-S-S, mm-hmm. I think both of them were wonderful new punk slash hardcore bands that were going to do something special in the world. And they gave us something brief and then disbanded real quick. And I think that's okay. Um But the thing I really like about this band, um, so I saw them live twice, and I think seeing them live is a big part of it. Um, I saw them one time opening for Yamantaka Sonic Titan, which was really great. And then I saw them a second time opening for Deerhoof, which is, of course, really great, because Deerhoof is one of the greatest bands of our generation. Uh, Period. Yeah. (laughs) that's Hard agree. That is is not subjective. That is objective. (laughs) Deerhoof. Period. Uh, Anyway. the first time I saw them, Yaman Takasonic Titan, they were playing a venue, which is actually pretty crummy. It, it was like an art gallery. And whoever was running the soundboard was doing a terrible job. Absolutely terrible. I'm pretty sure the lead singer, Meredith Graves, she was not even being picked up by any amplification the entire night. But it was a small enough crowd. And uh, my wife and I and whoever I was there with, we, we were uh, front row. So um, when Meredith Graves was fucking screaming... We were hearing it because it was we, we were right there in front of it. And I think she's a big reason why this EP is so good. I think the fact that they have so many noise elements is a big reason why it's so good. I think the fact that they have a keyboardist at all is a big reason why this punk hardcore band is so good. Because I definitely feel like there's a lot of genres where people can become cookie cutters really easily. Where it's like, oh, all blank bands sound the same, you know? Yep. And then when you have these little gems that just kind of stand out, you, you kind of like feel everything you're supposed to feel from the entire genre because you're feeling it just a little differently than the 100 other bands that are doing it the exact same way. Yep. So, so I, I really, really enjoyed this band. I wish they were still around. Um, Meredith Graves is now the head of music for Kickstarter. She's like the director mm-hmm. of the music portion. Good for her. Cool. Like, yeah. Uh, she was also an MTV VJ for for a hot second, which also good for her. Wait, no, not a VJ, an MTV News VJ, whatever, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, anyhow, she's great. I really enjoyed this band. They only ever put out one EP and one LP, and um, good, good stuff. All right, number two, the year is 1982. The EP is Chronic Town. The band is REM. I mean, you can't not, right? You can't not. And I, I would also be very curious about when the concept of an EP actually became like a mainstream thing that most people knew about. Because to me, the 80s feel like the birth of the EP. And maybe that's because mm-hmm. I was born in the 80s, so I just don't know any better. <laughs> but um, I, I can't picture too many 70s EPs, too many 60s EPs. The 80s seem like the birth of the EP in my head. 
I know there were some late 70s kind of punk and punk adjacent like Buzzcocks EPs, but I don't know of many before that. Yeah. Um, So so here's why I love Chronic Town so much. Um, I mean, a lot of it should be pretty obvious, obviously, but uh, I fell in love with Murmur. Murmur was the first REM record that I actually found in person. And uh, we talked about this before, but like in the years pre-internet, you didn't pick up your favorite album by whatever artist you could find. You bought whatever album you could find physically in the store, you know? So like if I went down to my local record store and I was like, I'd like some REM please. And all they had was murmur. That's what I'm going home with. That's my record. So, um, murmur was the first album of theirs that I fell in love with on my own terms. Cause obviously they're in the zeitgeist, you know, I mean, it's fucking REM. You're going to hear Losing My Religion and Shiny Happy People on the radio. It's out there. But when I picked up my first album, Murmur introduced me to all these songs I had never heard before. So it felt personal. It felt specific to me. And I was like, Murmur, this is my album. I want more Murmur. And it took me years before I could even like really connect the IRS REM with the Warner Brothers REM. I like Warner Brothers right. REM. It's all, it's all good. But I wanted more IRS REM. (laughs) So um, that's when I started getting into like, you know, I was tracking down Reckoning and then I found um, Dead Letter Office, which was a collection of all their like older tracks and stuff. And it also included the Chronic Town EP on Dead Letter Office. And that's the first place I heard it. And um, I love it. Love it to death. I love 90s REM so much. Mm. Or like early, early, early REM, sorry, not even 90s, like earlier, because that's from 82, you said? Yeah, this one's 82. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love early R.E.M. so much. I mean, if if R.E.M. only ever released Chronic Town, Murmur, and Reckoning, we would have a completely different history book of what yep. R.E.M. is. That would they, would they would be some other legendary band as opposed to the legendary band that they actually became. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange history. Yeah. It's funny. I had a similar experience where I first heard Chronic Town on the Dead Letter Office compilation. And my approach when I was younger to selecting which CD to buy was which one had the most songs on it. Uh So I'd go into the HMV on 86th and Lex in New York, and I would look at all the CDs and say, well, they're all... $15.99, $15.99, but this one has 20 tracks and all the other ones have 10 tracks. So clearly I'm getting the most REM per dollar <laughs> if I get this thing called Dead Letter Office. Um, and I think that was the first REM album I bought after Out of Time, which I still think is an egregiously underrated record. Sure. I think like mm-hmm. Country Feedback is maybe the best REM song. And there's a lot on that record, which gets just overshadowed by the meteoric success of Losing My Religion, which has the exact same baseline as the Eagles Hotel California. And why are we not all talking about that all the time? Um, but, you know, ev- everything REM from Chronic Town through uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi is just top, top tier for me. Top tier all time. I don't think you can find another band which is a more ideal representation of the band as a democracy um, and a band that is capable of doing things that no individual member would be able to do without that particular combination of people working in the way that they do. Um, That is the magic of R.E.M. And I think you can hear that right out of the gate on Chronic Town. I fully agree. Fully, fully, fully. Uh, now, Now, you were mentioning you lived in New York for a while, right? I did up until three years ago, roughly. Gotcha. So, so uh, were you living there, let's say, in 2001? Yes. Well, 
then we are going about to discuss my number one, which came out right. in 2001 from New York. I think I might know. I think I might know where we're going with this. The, the name of the EP, some might call it the master EP, but they're wrong. The name of the EP is Yeah, Yeah, Yaz. The name of the artist mm-hmm. is Yeah, Yeah, Yaz. <laughs> And you see, I didn't know if you were going to go there because there was also the Strokes, the modern age EP around there. There was also yes. the first Interpol EP, which I think was 2002. There was also the first TV on the radio EP. It was a golden age of New York EPs. Yes. And Blonde Redhead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two of these that we just talked about were on my short list. All these <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing I really loved about this EP is that it felt really new. Like it felt like something brand new was happening and it was exciting. And that's that's pretty much all I'm ever looking for with music. I mean, I, I just want something novel, something that where someone's making a new sound, doing something new. A big part of that was Karen O. Karen o at that mm-hmm. time in particular was just, oh man, just such a shot in the arm. Like she 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 well, she is wonderful. But at that point, before mm-hmm. we knew her, it was like, wow, who's this person? And I, I think a lot of people will still claim that it is the best Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Like I think a lot of people say that their EP was the pinnacle and it's only been downhill from there. I wouldn't agree with that. But um, that is an example of in such esteem that this is held in. Like pe- people revere this EP for good reason. It's It's got tons of great songs on it. It's... Um, it's fun. It's punchy. It's got a nice balance to it between like upbeat and downbeat. Uh, it's just great. It's just great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I love Fever to Tell more, but it it's such a good EP. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. I feel like that was such an ex- like there were so many bands who were just putting out an EP and you were like, whoa, OK, this this is something like there is mm-hmm. something really exciting and different here. Um, and there was also a lot of time I remember that waiting period between the first EP and the first LP for a lot of these artists when you kind of knew, like, which are some of these songs going to come back? Are they going to be re-recorded in album yep. form? <laughs> are we going to have the EP version and the LP version? But it just felt like such a such a cool time. I just read um, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Mm-hmm, yeah. The yeah. the oral history of that period and i was like i had a few glimpses into that but i feel like even then there was kind of like a a a divide between like the cool kids and the nerds and i was definitely not one of the cool kids but i (laughs) admired the cool kids and they were having a lot of fun and making great art and uh May that always be. May there always be people we can aspire to in terms of being cool and real and uh, unique and creative. <laughs> um, I, I was recently listening to uh, Jamie Stewart of Shoe Shoes. Um, I guess I'll call it a memoir. It's mostly a book about <laughs> his like sexual experiences. And it's like, I didn't know he published that. Oh, I've got to read that. He, he sent me an he, excerpt from that once a long time ago. He has not published involved... it. He's only released oh, okay. it as an audiobook so far. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I will need to listen to that. <laughs> it's called Anything That Moves, and it's in three parts. And it's oh quite God, good. The, it's quite good. I, I'm the only. Title. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, my God. I'm only two thirds of the way through. 
And um, but anyway, there's this one part in there where he talks about how he's out on the town hanging out with the, uh, a couple of people who like set up like you know a show for him to play that night. And so you know he's you know trying to like be nice to his hosts and hang out with them and do all this stuff. But then he describes them and he's like, oh, and they're real music nerds, which means they're real nerds. <laughs> it's like yeah, that that is true. Like anyone who is a real music nerd and is real nerdy about music. They're still really nerdy, even though music is quote unquote cooler than like other things you can be nerdy about. You're still a nerd <laughs> if, if you're really into music, you know, it's it's so true. I remember after when, when my band broke up and I started working in tech, um, people would ask me, you know, do you have any wild stories from being a touring musician? I was like, <laughs> no, we were huge nerds. We asked people if we could sleep on their floors. We'd sleep on their floors. Their cats would pee on us sometimes <laughs> and we'd leave them a nice thank you note and a CD and a T-shirt. Uh, the you know, it's most of the most of the you'd be surprised how many people are nerds and 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 to what extent just like a deep nerdy abiding love of art fuels a lot of things that register as being more driven by other things <laughs> yeah yeah uh and, and that concludes my list that is my top five That's uh, a great list. so uh, uh my list is done uh matt is your turn so let's take a little break uh matt All right. you will then go around the store gather up your top five and let's keep counting down Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. This is so exciting. I know, we've been wanting to do this for so long. It's been a long time coming, but I feel like we're in a really good point in our lives where we have a lot to talk about. I'm actually really happy that I grew up with you because I could not do it alone. Oh my gosh, that's not really emotional. Well, it's true. It took a while to get to this point. We hated each other. I know. Like, we actually, I hated you so much. I know. We used to tell each other that too, which is terrible. Okay, but honestly, I don't think we hated each other that much because we would sleep in the same room every night, even though we'd fight. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know us on a personal level and not just through social media. So this is going to be really interesting and fun. I know. I was literally saying today, I was like, I wonder if we're going to like fight. I feel like there will be lots of laughs. You know what's so bad? Once we start laughing, we can't stop. We can't stop. Nope. That's going to be a huge problem. No. But listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Sholem Adiwanya. I'm Jacob Scott Thomas Bertrand, and this is the Lone Globos Podcast. Every week, we just shooting from the hip, talking about everything and nothing at the same time. Including topics like uh, what people think about Latinos who don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Basically, what he said was, Oh, you're a Mexican that doesn't speak Spanish. That's like a taco with no salsa, like a taco with no flavor. Oh, like, dang. She took that and was like, this was a year ago. And I didn't get accepted. Through time tests and everything. And the email of her not getting accepted. And then a year later, exact design was on like a converse that you yeah. can buy. Yeah. And she was like, this is so messed up. Because like, you can't do is, anything about it. Well, yeah, but she, but she put on, it blew up. Right, exactly. It started off as like this posh, you know, online Soho. Oh, it's for entrepreneurs. It got to the point where I was like, what are you, what room are you in today? Like, what are you guys talking about? And he's like, this one is just a bunch of people making helicopter noises. See, I was always way faster than my mom, so she would never be able to catch me. <laughs> Listen to Lone Lobos starting September 21st. It's a part of the My Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are back. Uh, Matt has gathered up his records. We're counting down our top five EPs. And, and actually, Matt, um, you live in Portland now, is that correct? I do indeed. As a former Portlandian myself, I need to ask you a few questions about the, um, I guess, the livelihood of some of my favorite record stores. And, and All I, right. I have, I have the highest hopes, and, and, and I hope you give me good <laughs> news. Um, I, I left in 2008 when I, I graduated. Okay. I, I went to Portland State University. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Do you know where the Portland Art Museum is? Kind of near the park yes. blocks. I yes. used to live over there, like kind of like uh, Broadway and Columbia, kind of right that yep. that region. So because that's where I lived, my main street was Burnside. Whenever I needed books, of course, I'd go to Powell's. And whenever I needed records... My three favorite record stores were all on Burnside, and that would, of course, be in order, uh, Music Millennium, Jackpot Records, and Everyday Music. Now, I have heard that Jackpot Records has moved and is no longer in its old location. It's in some weird place. But you you are a more recent transplant to Portland, so maybe you've only experienced it in the new location. My bigger question is, are these three record stores (laughs) still alive, (laughs) even though the pandemic is raging, etc.? Jackpot is now on Southeast Hawthorne, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyday Music is still there. I believe Music Millennium moved, but I may be mistaken about that. I also, my experience of Portland, so when, when I was in a band from 2005 to 2007, primarily our keyboard player and um, a very big part of the band as, as like a group of friends and a, a social entity lived here in Portland, mm. which is how I fell in love with Portland. But we would just go to Jackpot downtown. We'd go to the half and half for coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'd go to Reading Frenzy when we wanted to to read books. That that block, that Burnside triangle was everything. Oh yeah. We my my happiest day ever as a touring musician, I will never forget this. We played an in-store at Jackpot and they had a whole display of our CD, like a, a cardboard cutout with and I, I remember thinking Never forget this moment because this is one of those incredible, this is like, this is more than I could have hoped to achieve. And I know that I will forget about it and immediately be upset that I didn't get some other thing that I feel entitled to because it is the year 2005 and I am 23 and I don't understand how the world works, but it's, uh, yeah, it's downtown jackpot is, is sorely, sorely missed. Mm. That's well. I'm I'm glad it still exists somewhere. But yeah, that yes. that, that that was my number one record store, and so uh, I spent so much time there, especially during that era. I would not be surprised if I was there at your in store then, because you may have been. Because <laughs> that that um the thing I used to say about that jackpot, because it was it was really small. It was a small record store, but I used to say that if you went in blindfolded and picked up anything, you would go home happy because ev- absolutely everything in that store was good. It it, it was small. 
but 100% of the highest quality, which is, um, you know, I think, I think there's different record stores for different moods, but I think that's a very valuable record store is someone who curates it to the most ridiculous degree possible <laughs> that every single piece of merchandise, every bit of media is perfection and wonderful within its doors. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. When, when we were on tour, you know, we, we had, there was five of us in a Chevy Tahoe. We did not have a lot of room and we could not pick up a lot of new items. So by the second or third national tour, you start to learn which record stores are worth going to. Like which record right. stores, it's like, all right, I'm not going to be able to add more than five records. You know, I'm not going to be able to stuff more than five records into my guitar case before the guitar doesn't fit in it anymore. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was always like jackpot, end of an year in Austin. There were always record stores that you just knew were were special enough that that was where you would choose to to pick up the few records that you would be able to take with you or CDs that you would be able to take with you back in the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jackpot was 100% on that very short list. It would be a good topic for a show, top five record stores wherever in the world that you've been. I love that. And and, and of yeah. any time, because there of are sadly some wonderful yes. ones that are, that are uh, RIP. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, anyway, enough blathering about Portland. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your top five. Why don't you kick us off? All right. Um, so my, my, my fifth one is not actually an EP. It is definitively not an EP, but I always thought of it as an EP to the point where in my MP3 collection, the two letters EP appear after the title of the record. <laughs> I looked it up and learned that it is not, in fact, an EP by any definition, but I feel that my own miscategorization of it tells us something about the EP as a format, and I wanted a chance to put this on my list, and how many chances will I have? Um, My number five EP that is not an EP is Fun Style by Liz Fair. Let me tell you how it's done here in the Hollywood Maybe you was thinking you was in the Bollywood If I wanna break the rule, you know I probably could AKA the one where she raps Right (laughs) (laughs) Is this where we get to talk about the story? We can absolutely talk. I I, I, I came prepared Um, I I have made my amends And I... I love the the jokey songs and 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 you know this this EP has some problems. It has some problematic elements. Um there are things that that feel a little appropriate mm-hmm. and are not great. But it is such an I don't care work of art. It is so the sound of somebody creating with no expectations. And I also feel like aesthetically it was massively ahead of its time. I feel like the joke Liz Fair has played on us consistently is being so far ahead of us that we don't even recognize it. Mm. Um, you know, the 2003 album, the self-titled, which I notoriously gave a 0.02. <laughs> um, you can't just skip over that. Let's. <laughs> hey, I, 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 <laughs> You did not give me a chance to not skip over that. Um, But, you know, I I think that in some ways that album itself still does sound a little bit dated. But the idea of bridging that gap in the way that it does was so far ahead of the rest of us that me personally, I don't want to speak for literally anyone else, totally did not see it, totally did not get it, kind of fell right into the the constant Liz Fair trap of 
men who think they are smarter than they are getting it wrong and humiliating themselves. Um, but with fun style, I, I, part of the reason I picked this, there is a, in the last track on this album slash EP, which I think I thought of as an EP because it was sold on her website for $5.99, which seems like the exact price of an EP. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. There is a song called You Hate It at the end of it, which is Liz Fair singing about how you hate and, and you being the people listening will hate this album or EP. Um, and in the course of this, she says, I think I'm a genius. You're being a penis. Colada, that is. And then there's this little Hawaiian guitar lick. And it has never left my brain. My wife and I will still often refer to to bad behavior as being a penis. And we'll then go... And I think there's something about the EP format, which is why I have always categorized this, miscategorized it as an EP, which affords you the freedom to do a thing that you would probably never do on a proper full-length album. And the brilliance of this album, or whatever you want to call it to me, first of all, I think the actual song songs are better than I gave them credit for at the time, but the jokey songs are just a direct there's just such a direct unmediated one-to-one i have this stupid idea and i'm expressing it and it is so infectious and so unforgettable um there's just a a a, something about it that has never left my mind and continues to delight me every time i put it on and um credit to liz fair for just keeping us guessing and taking all (laughs) kinds of totally unexpected turns that you know decades later me anyhow i go back to that and i'm like oh yeah she was way she knew exactly what she was doing and i totally didn't i'm a huge 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 liz fair fan but i mean i just said huge like five times and i still have never heard this album Mm. um but you've definitely (laughs) picked my interest i'm i'm definitely I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I didn't really listen to much after 2003's uh, self-titled, or yeah, the Liz yes. Fair album. Um, but just, I I continually go back to all the others repeatedly, over and over. And she, she is such a, she, her guitar playing is so interesting. And it's not like, She's not just playing any old chord, and I can't explain it because I'm kind of a noob at guitar, but I just feel like when I go and try to look at her her tab and try to learn her songs as a beginner guitarist, I'm just like, what? <laughs> what is she? How? How does she do that? Um, she's a, I love her. But man. I, yeah, I, I will say... First of all, thank you for bringing up Liz Fair's incredible guitar playing, because I think that is not something that gets discussed enough. Mm. Um, but I, I think, you know, going back to my my 0.0, which I, I, I have apologized for, and, and Liz herself was kind enough to accept my apology via Twitter, which I thought was very gracious and not necessary uh, on her part, which is not to say it's not appreciated, but that, you know, she had no obligation of any kind to do that, obviously. Um <laughs> I think that the the con- the thing that bothers me about that review in retrospect the most is how condescending it is that there's this suggestion that she just like 
could never write a perfect song. Not that she had a unique artistic vision that she was expressing intentionally. Mm. And that's why that review still really bothers me. And whenever I get dragged for it, I, I feel that I, I deserve to be dragged for it. Is that that condescending and just profoundly sexist idea that the quirks of Liz Fair's songwriting were not of her own making and within her own control and her own vision. Um, that's, that's just bad. That is bad criticism, bad writing and bad thinking. And I truly regret putting that out there into the world. So, um, I think this is, you know, (laughs) whatever, whatever attempt I'm making here to, to continue giving credit where it's due. Um, because I think that fun style remains one that is definitely an anomaly in her catalog. And I think is kind of treated as a curio in her catalog, but in terms of like dollars to donuts, just enjoying listening to something, um, it is an all timer. I, I would also bet that you calling that an EP will be our longest EP in our discussion today. <laughs> Cause I believe yeah. that's, that's just short of an hour, right? Like that's, that's it's 40 minutes. It okay. is, it is, it is definitely an album. I, in, <laughs> it, again, in my mind, I always thought of it as an EP, in part because it was a surprise release, because it was digital only at a time when that was not a thing that was commonly happening, mm-hmm. because it was being sold. See how ahead of her time she has, I'm, I'm like, all these things that are now just things that we take for granted. Right. Like, she is. It, it, that was, that felt like it was making, framing this as not a real album at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, that's just, that's just albums. Yeah. It's, it's, um, just like the whole, like her being kind of ahead, ahead of her time and whatnot. I recently heard, I think it was Song Exploder. I always get the title mm-hmm. of that show mixed up. Um, I always want to call it song. Wait, is it song? Sound? I never know <laughs> song or sound, but yeah, anyways. You write the first uh, time, yeah. <laughs> she was talking about how girly sounds was she was wanting to take this like idea, which was, um, you know, has been talked about and over many years of like women with small voices are often not taken seriously. And I actually, when I heard her talking about that, I was like, Oh my God, I like just tweeted about this recently. Cause I have kind of a, I always think I have a small voice. I had a high school teacher who was like, no, you can't be our broadcast journalist anchor for the high school news show because your voice is too small. I was like, that's not fair. I did the soundtrack. It's fine. But, um, (laughs) but when she said that and just for her to have, um, just say like, you know what, but, but girls are so mischievous and like, we can do anything. And, um, I was like, hell yeah, yeah, we can. And also like the way she, she took your apology and she was like, haha, it's no big deal. And, she was kind of like, yeah, probably it didn't, it didn't really bother me at all, actually. <laughs> like, it's funny that you're still hanging on to it, but I'm not kind of a thing. That that Twitter thread was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that she's always been this sort of this badass, you know, unapo- unapologetically a badass. Yeah, for sure. Have I read her autobiography, um, which I guess is the first installment of her autobiography. And hmm. um, it was really interesting to me it to me was a more interesting almost as a psychology book than as a musician's biography she is so candid and clear-eyed talking about her own decision-making process and 
things she's done that she wished she had done different. I don't even know if that's fair to say, but there's there's just this candor and this willingness to not mythologize oneself, um, which I have so much respect for and really gave me a lot to think about in terms of like what the thought process is that goes into being that kind of a badass that in order to do really good work in the world, there's a certain extent to which you need to resist the urge to mythologize yourself. And I think about that all the time and highly recommend that book. That's interesting because, yeah, I feel like with all her earlier releases, it's almost like she's she's taking herself seriously, but she's also fucking around a little bit. You know, she's mm-hmm. being a little bit punk rock about certain things. But then when you go to that 2003 album is when she sounds maybe like she's taking herself more seriously. And I wonder if that's why it kind of fell off. But then with the fun style, sounds like she's not taking herself seriously again. So I'm, I'm interested to hear it in that sort of frame of mind. I, I'm very curious to hear uh, what you think about it, because it's certainly not a serious record, but the complete lack of self-consciousness kind of transcends into its own kind of seriousness or something. I don't know. It's just really fun to listen to. It's called fun style for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's it's a delight and I recommend it. All right. Well, number four, what you got for us? Uh, number four uh, from, I believe this was released last year. Uh I had to pick between two EPs by this artist, uh, but the EP is called Please Advise, released by a band from Washington, D.C. called Beauty Pill. An exhalation, please stop asking, I am willing to burn. Um, Fronted by Chad Clark, who is a, a music and audio mentor of mine, and I think one of the true greats of sculpting sound kind of up there with with Bjork and operating at that level. Wow. That's, um, a, that's a huge compliment in this <laughs> record store. <laughs> yeah. I would not say go that. Back. So, yeah. Okay. So I'll go back. So Chad, um, Chad Clark was in a, a, a discord band called smart went crazy, um, put out two albums that were very good. Then he formed a band called Beauty Pill that put out a, an EP called The Cigarette Girl from the Future in 2003, maybe. That was incredible. That is really good. Um, when my band was doing our second record, uh, Jason Cadell from the Dismemberment Plan produced, and he suggested we have Chad Clark mix it. Mm. And Chad taught me pretty much everything I know philosophically about mixing a record. He taught me how to be subtractive. He taught me how to make elegant decisions. He taught me how to put things together in space. Um, soon after we worked with him, Chad had some some really serious health problems and wound up uh, in a situation where he couldn't really play guitar for a while. So he started taking that same sort of moving elements around in time and space mindset into working with a hybrid of acoustic and electronic elements. Uh, Beauty Pill put out a record, I believe in 2018, called uh, Beauty Pill Describes Things As They Are, and it is an all-timer for me. I, again, think that Chad is truly operating in the top echelon of combining different sounds in a way that is cohesive and compelling. 
um, the Please Advise EP reflects one of my favorite things about EPs, which is that it gave him a chance to experiment with some different formats and approaches. So there are two new songs on it, which are both fantastic. And there is a cover of the uh, Pretenders song, Tattooed Love Boys, which is so good. Uh, Chad refers to it as a study, not a cover, which I think <laughs> is so, which which tells you exactly what Chad's mindset is because it's pulling out aesthetic elements of the original and and studying them and exaggerating them. So there's kind of this chimey quality to the original guitar and he pulls that out and adds this almost like hammer dulcimer style element to it. Um, it's It's just mind-blowing and i cannot say enough things about beauty pill as a band and chad as a producer um it is to me again top 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 tier stuff which i do not say lightly and i would not say unless i fully believed and meant it wow that's 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 a huge recommendation and i've never heard this so i'm very excited to check this out this is great same me Check too. it out. It's looking um, forward to it. It's so good. It's so good. Ugh, can't say enough good things. <laughs> All right. Number three. Number three is a tie. It's a two-way tie of two EPs by the same artist, which I believe illustrate the same fundamental truth about EPs, which is similar to what you were talking about with Toro y Moi. And that is the Soft Effects EP and the Loveways EP by the band Spoon. Talk about the metal. What's on top? What else you come here for? What else could this? Mm. You see, I, I I was almost going to agree with this this sneaky way to put in two choices as one. <laughs> if if it would have been soft effect and telephono, then I would have gone. Oh, ah. I completely agree because those two EPs were packaged together in a release. Mm-hmm. So I would they have were. gone. I fully understand. This makes sense. But now, no, no, now you okay. cheated. <laughs> let, me, let me make my case. Let me make my case. Okay. So my my case with both of these EPs, which is again similar to your reaction to that Tori Moi EP, was that these were both EPs where Spoon telegraphed where they were about to go before they went there. Mm-hmm. So Telefono is not not my favorite release. Right. I don't think it is Spoon operating at their best. It's pretty much Soft, it's straightforward more or less. It's yeah, it, it's it doesn't have much like else. Yeah, higher tempo. You know, a lot of people accuse it of being a Pixies rip, which I totally get. Mm-hmm. Um, soft effects telegraphs a series of sneaks and a series of sneaks is to date my favorite spoon album it shows you where they're gonna go it shows you that they're growing as artists it shows you that they're about to take this turn into this kind of weirder and more impressionistic and more fragmented take on what they were doing Mm -hmm. love it shows you where they're going the loveways ep uh, is a little bit tricky in the spoon chronology because it was recorded after uh, girls can tell but released before girls can tell which i think makes it harder to read it as what it is to me which is a signal that spoon is going more from the kind of girls can tell straightforward but impeccable indie rock oeuvre into a more kind of r&b focused way of, of operating on kill the moonlight and the records that follow right so love ways you know the song Jealousy is a classic song. Chips and Dip, also a great one. Again, operating in a very kind of like classic, almost like girl group inspired modality. That's really cool. 
So I, I love both of these EPs because they mark these inflection points for this band that really has gone through a number of different distinct phases and distinct sounds. And it shows you what that next chunk of work is going to sound like, but does it in a way that is more kind of, as you said, a snack that mm-hmm. gets you really excited for the full meal. You're, you're absolutely a cheater but I follow your logic <laughs> and I, I dig it. Like, like you're right. These are two telegraphing spoon albums and I really do love spoon. Uh, Britt Daniel to me is one of the best voices in rock and roll. Like um, I'm, it's hundred percent per- personal preference, but I just love his voice. I, I, I think his voice is just butter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great performer. Great band. Um, yeah. Have you ever gone to a show and the band, they did something that rubbed you the wrong way. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with these dudes? Oh. And then and then you look at every release after that, like, bunch of jerks. So this happened time, to you like, with Spoon? Yes. Oh, no. Yes. When? When? What? And how? <gasps> well, okay. I will just say I freaking still like Spoon, obviously, because they're so <laughs> great. But, like, I do have to roll my eyes at them a little bit because I saw them in Nashville. It was for the... um. I think it was the Girls Can Tell tour. Like Mm -hmm. it was like Mm -hmm. early. Um, And, but I mean, the place was packed. Wall to wall was a little, a little club bar thing. It was packed. And um, the, the drummers, um, Mike fell from his, his high, high Tom. It just fell down. Um, And all, all he needed to do was lift it and tighten the screw Mm -hmm. a little bit. They stopped the show. The sound guy had to come from the back of the room in this crowded ass bar, went on stage, tightened it a little bit. And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Why? I was expecting a much worse story. And I'm actually kind of relieved that this isn't like a horrible story. Yeah. This could have been a lot worse. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit relieved, but (laughs) But this, but still, this is still interesting. <laughs> I was just like, bro, I could have done that for you if right. you needed some help. I don't know. Like, I do know exactly what you mean, Tara, about why? those situations. That, like, I remember my my example of that when I saw, I went to see. I think it was I saw the hidden cameras in New York, and some guy I had never heard of named Sufjan Stevens or something <laughs> was opening, and before he played. They they played this short film of just like him looking handsome standing on a bridge. And I was like, what? Why are you playing this video? Like what kind of vanity project nonsense? Like who is this guy? I hate him forever. And then, you know, this was, was early days of the Sufjan ascendancy. And he played an incredible set. And I was grudgingly like, I guess that's okay. But like, who does that? Why would anyone do that? Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, things, things like that happen. There are definitely, Mm -hmm. I think, and I, you know, not to excuse anybody ever, I will say like, I've probably been that musician (laughs) on stage a couple of times. Like we, we've cut shows early because of technical, we played a show, especially anything involving the sound person. I feel like there's all kinds of layers of dynamics that can come into play. Like we played a show at yeah. rubber gloves in Denton, Texas, and the sound guy had a Jamiroquai hat and I was immediately nervous. Um, and we had brought our own DI boxes um, to plug my effect vocal uh, microphone into. And he was like, no, 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 man, I'm going to use my own. And I was like, all right, well, we have our backups if you need them. 
uh, this is a very boring technical distinction, <laughs> but his was a an active DI. Ours were passive DIs. So when his mm-hmm. broke, which I knew it would, the level went way down. And he was mm-hmm. like, I cut it, man. And I was like, what? We need that. He was like, I cut it, man. I was just like, thank you. We're done. There were five people there and none of them cared. But all of those <laughs> yeah. five people, had my band gone on to any degree of success or uh, or fame, probably like, yeah, I saw them. That guy is a jerk. He right. just like threw a hissy fit, which I did and I shouldn't have. Um, but I have been on both sides of that one and, uh, it's more fun to be on the side of being like, you know what band I've got your number. I see you. I see what you're all about. You think you're so great. You're not so great. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so I would never begrudge you that. (laughs) And it's true. Like, honestly, and, and I had even been in bands at that point, but like, you never know. Maybe the sound guy was like, don't you fucking touch my mic, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly, so, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. The sound guy had been like, listen, this mic, like <laughs> this is like a fucking Sennheiser E604, okay? <laughs> and if you touch this, like I'm my, I'm going to fucking kill you, okay? Yeah. So don't yeah. touch the Sennheiser E604. It's a very yeah. good mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel bad for both of you, though, because both of those stories happened really early in both of those musicians' careers. <laughs> so there's a lot of begrudging music that's really good after that. I mean, like, oh, I, for sure. Like I said, I listen to, I, I still listen to them. Okay. I, that's good. <laughs> but I definitely, I have a, a, this feeling that the singer is a big jerk face, even though it wasn't even his mic that was messed up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, I think that's also like, when you've been in bands and you see other bands do anything that seems even remotely like diva like behavior, it's <laughs> yeah. just so like when you've been on stage and tried to adjust the mic stand and nobody cares, I feel like it leaves you extra like extra like I remember we I forget who it was even, but we once played with a a, a, a band that had like a wardrobe they brought with them. They brought <laughs> in like new outfits. And I was just like, oh, excuse me. Like, I didn't realize that this was also f- a fashion show. And now like, when I see a band that's like, that has a compelling aesthetic, I'm like, good for them. That makes this more interesting. Right. But <laughs> when I was in that, like, if you literally do anything other than just like show up in cargo shorts and a band t-shirt and fix all your own shit, then you suck and I hate you. <laughs> like, I, I, wow. I, I was 100% in you that didn't have gig. You didn't have like gig wear? Like gig I, oh, I kind of did, and it was so bad. It was so bad, Tara. I had these pants. Oh, I had these 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 uh, godforsaken embroidered jeans that I bought <laughs> at like some store in New York when I was like, you know what, cool people wear embroidered <laughs> jeans. I'm gonna wear yeah. these embroidered jeans and this like t-shirt that is way too small on me that has like i bought it at a rest stop and it has like a (laughs) motorcycle in rhinestones i'm just gonna be like the coolest every time i tried to do anything that made things more special it completely backfired and was terrible (laughs) so i think a lot of my resentment towards other bands at the time had more to do with them pulling off a thing that i did not know how to pull off (laughs) and me doing the thing that i think several people do defensively of just deciding that if I could not pull the thing off, it must be a bad thing to do rather than taking a look in the mirror at my embroidered pants and saying, these are heinous pants. Um, and, and I have pants problems that I should think about seriously. 
I like that this this says this is the past though. I you've know. grown, you've yeah. learned, and and I, I I you know we we all start somewhere. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that you've become a a a more enlightened, more accepting person. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I try. What number were those two? Three. Uh yeah, you're on, was, you're on your number two were, now. Those were those were three. So number yeah. two, Radiohead, Airbag, How Am I Driving? Just got Classic. Classic. Classic EP. And I picked this one because I remember this being a legendary EP when it was not available. Mm. It was my first awareness of scarcity um, because it had been a limited run EP in the US. It collected a lot of the B-sides from the UK singles. It was a limited run. But by the time I got really into Radiohead, it was not available anymore. And this was pre-file sharing. So you couldn't like just go on to you know, Kazaa or Soul Seek or whatever and find it. Um, and I remember the songs on this EP, especially uh, Polyethylene Parts 1 and 2, just being like legendary. Right. Being like, there is this Radiohead song called Polyethylene and you will never hear it, but it is as good as Paranoid Android, but you will never hear it because it is from a limited edition, limited edition EP. Yeah. Um, and, th- and th- that was the era when like friends would like make cassettes of their like rare EPs for you. And, um, and then very soon you're right. Then Kazaa happened, then CD burners happened. And then that fun kind of went away, but maybe we're better for that fun going away. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like, yeah, I, I honestly do love the hunt of being a music fan. Like it is fun to have these things. Like for example, um, the new Godspeed, you black emperor went up for pre-order last week and within a day, they sold out on Bandcamp of their physical versions. And I'm like, are you yep. fucking kidding me? I waited for Bandcamp Friday so you can get all <laughs> of the proceeds. And because I waited that day, I don't get a physical copy anymore? And no, I'm not going to buy from the label. I want the digital download in my Bandcamp account. <laughs> but- it's funny. Sorry to interrupt, but I just have to. Godspeed You Black Emperor is another band that I also have an irrational an irrational ill will towards because of (laughs) a show I saw at the knitting factory in New York where the opening act was two hours of experimental anarchist Canadian short films. Mm. And one of them was just a camera going around and around and around in a desert and a voiceover saying in the next war, they will bury the dead in cellophane for like 30 minutes. And I was just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then this person behind me turned to his companion and said, oh, this guy in front of me thinks that he can judge this art just because he's into Godspeed, you black emperor. And I almost walked out. I almost just like, I almost just like, like just had a, a like rage fit. And it was not, you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. They're Godspeed, you black emperor. Yeah. They got a point to make. They're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I walked out of that show just like I Boiling. will forever irrationally <laughs> be like full of rage at not e- like I feel like if that person behind me had not spoken up, like I had a similar thing <laughs> with Sonic Youth for a moment where oh, I no. saw them and there was some guy behind me trying to pick up a woman by talking about, you know, like when you're vegan, you can like 
look Mother Nature in the eye. And I oh look her God. in the eye. Every morning I wake up and I look Mother Nature in the eye and I say, thank you. And I was like, I am so full of rage in this moment that I am taking <laughs> it out on Sonic Youth unfairly. Um, I, I, I so don't want to be a like, psychiatrist here, but I feel like I'm learning a lot about you. And, yeah, you are. And it really roots down to your disliking of people. And that's no, interesting. I totally understand. Like, there was this girl talking so loudly at the Widow's Peak show once, and they're a super quiet band. And I was like, could you, could you just please be a little bit quieter? And she was like, no. And I was like, oh my God. She didn't shut up either the entire time. Oh, I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing uh, stones in a glass house here because um, I have screamed at some fuckers in the middle of a show <laughs> for not for not paying attention to the concert. Especially here, here's the rule: your proximity to the stage increases yeah. the level that you need to shut the fuck up. Yes, it, thank you. The further you are That's from the stage, math. exactly, exactly. I was at a Mac DeMarco show where I'm I'm dead serious. Second row, the woman was having a full yelling conversation the entire concert. Did I yell at her? Yes. Do I feel bad about yelling at her? Yes. No. Did it actually make her shut the fuck up? Like I requested. <laughs> No, she <laughs> continued to have her yelling conversation in the second row of this concert. And so um, some people are garbage. Some people, um, but but here's the difference. I didn't take that out on Mac DeMarco. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cognitive association, man. It's under- I can't it's help understandable. It. It's understandable. Anyway, anyway, we're, we're, we are, we're having a lot of fun so, tangents. Yeah, we are. We got to get to our number one. Yes. I w- okay. Okay. <laughs> My number one, unsurprisingly, R.E.M., Chronic Town. Hey! Um, Oh my gosh! And and part of the reason I picked it is that, as great as it is, I saw R.E.M. live at South by Southwest. This was one of my last, like, having any kind of ability to do things like this because pitchfork but i was covering south by southwest for pitchfork in 2007 and i got a text from my editor that was like hey you want to go to the rem austin city limits live taping and i was like uh yes yes i will do that yeah and um they they played gardening at night and it just struck me like how different it is hearing them perform that song once they figured out who they were. Like right. once Michael Stipe got out of the kind of like mumbly thing, which even by Murmur, ironically, it was less mumbly than on Chronic Town. Like that that confidence and just the grain of his voice is so incredible. And it's so cool to have this snapshot of this incredible band figuring out what they're going to be and kind of figuring out how those different elements are going to come together and like how the bass is going to drive the melody and how the guitar is going to create this kind of jangly texture. Bill Berry always sounds like he's nervous and can't quite relax and get into a groove, which I think is 100% the enabling constraint of the best REM records is that like Bill Berry could not groove, um, which meant that a lot of the movement had to come from the bass 
which is part of why I think so many of those bass lines are so incredible. Like mm-hmm. I could I could wax poetic about Mike Mills as a bassist and a harmony singer. He's so good. Um, he's so good. I will. This is this is like the closest thing to a genuine brag I am going to come to on this. <laughs> but I had the pleasure of recording Mike Mills um, for a minus five holiday album mm. and. I think I did a pretty good job of not freaking him out by just being like, you know that you taught me how to, like you taught me how music works. Like I could have just grabbed him and been like, you taught me how music works. (laughs) But like we were figuring out some harmonies together and I got to kind of watch him operate like in my little bedroom studio in Brooklyn. And it was one of the most, I have on my wall, actually, the like he had a little lyric sheet that he marked up and I keep it framed on my wall because that was just like it was a, an amazing experience for which I will be forever grateful. And, you know, one one thing not to get all mushy on this last one, but one thing that I think has really been true in this last year is that, you know, those records that mean a lot to you will save your life. They will absolutely save your life and Mm -hmm. the ability to dig into them and understand them and, and just commune with them in whatever way is such an incredible force. And those REM records have been like, again, all those REM records like chronic town through, uh, new adventures and some of up, um, just have meant so much to me over the years and keep meaning so much and keep revealing kind of new i feel like there's almost like a couple of rem songs for whatever you need yeah yeah um, fully for whatever like when i was in new york and i needed to like overcome you know i think you picked up on this but i definitely have some social anxiety which is what has in the past compelled me to interpret things like I'm hanging out with musicians I admire like they're cool and I'm a nerd which I'm sure from their perspective was I'm was not at all what's happening right. and why when I'm at a concert and somebody's behaving in a way I don't like I'm like oh I'm so full of rage rather than being like whatever who cares um but when I when I was like going to a party and needed to get over my social anxiety um REM song crush with eyeliner was like my get psyched song like overcome that anxiety song um and uh gardening at night i know i've talked about that song a lot there are other songs on chronic town but there's something so like dis- there's there's just a distilled purity in the way that the guitar and the bass move in that song um you know there, there are moments uh for what a grump i am i am also a huge softy and there are moments where I will just be moved to tears by the the structural elegance of a piece of music. Um, that's one of them. You know, I was thinking about like the of Montreal cover of the Shins Know Your Onion, which mm-hmm. is not even a great cover, mm-hmm. but just hearing that song, hearing the melody in that song in a different context, I was just like, oh my God, like there is some deep truth to the structure of things in the universe that a song can reveal and it's magic it's just absolutely magic yeah no but you said it very very well and you that's did. an excellent top five we we, we have, that is an excellent top five we, thank you we've killed it 
<laughs> I wanted to do right by y'all because uh, your lists are always very, very good. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm very surprised that Seth didn't have a Radiohead EP on his list. I almost put the Comlag EP on my list, mm-hmm. except it has a very high ratio of remixes to originals. <laughs> And so I couldn't, I couldn't quite fit it in, but, but, but the airbag EP is a very, very good one. Yeah. The 2000s come for all of us eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tara, uh, it's your turn and I can't wait. Yay. So uh, let's take a break while you uh, go out in the store and gather up your records. Let's uh, finish this off. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art camp in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Hi, it's Allie Wentworth, a middle-aged woman with a lot of questions and a lot of answers I have pulled out of my tush as host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. It's real, it's honest, open and unexpected, and sometimes amusing. Can you start with your infamous $19,000 haircut? Yes, and this is a great story I, I feel about mothers and daughters with a dream and an empty bank account. Just a few of our fabulous guests this season are... New York Times bestselling author Isabel Gillies, writer and Oprah's favorite life coach Martha Beck, and former editor of People magazine Jess Cagle. If we know intimate details about another person, then that person is socially important to us. Okay, so that's what you like to gossip about. Wait, what do you gossip about? All new episodes of Go Ask Alley release every Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Alley on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Couric here to tell you why I'm excited about the new season of my podcast, Next Question. My memoir, Going There, comes out October 26th. Yikes! So this fall, I'm taking you behind the making of my memoir. We'll have exclusive podcast-only conversations about the book and my life that you won't find anywhere else. So come for my signature curiosity, but this time, stay for some of my own revealing answers. Subscribe and listen to Next Question with Katie Couric on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're playing the High Fidelity game. We're doing the top five EPs. I have gone. Matt has gone. Tara, it's your turn, and I can't wait. It's my turn. Just going to dive right in. Number five is from 2018. Pretty new compared to everything else, I think. Um, Hatchy, Sugar and Spice. Hatchy, Sugar and Spice. 
Hatchy uh, actually reminds me quite a lot of Liz Fair, but um, sugary dream pop shoegaze. Think the Sundays meets Cocteau Twins. And actually, uh, Robin Guthrie, guitarist for Cocteau Twins, remixed a song from this EP called Sure. Um, It's it's so good. It's so beautiful. You guys know... I am, this is new to me, but yep. this—it sounds like you are describing perfect music. So <laughs> uh, I, I am, am very excited to listen to it. And when I'm you said Hatchy, for a second I thought, do you mean Waxahachie? Because that's a different no. group. <laughs> but no, you're... I don't enjoy Waxahachie. I call them Waxasnatchy just because um, <laughs> it's fun. Have you listened to <laughs> P.S. Elliot though? To the group that they were in before that the Crutchfield sisters were in before Waxahachie? No, are they good? Yes, I think I I I I like P.S. Eliot more. Th- I also do like Waxahachie, but I think P.S. Eliot is more like it's more punk rock and oh. it's more my speed. Interesting. I'll check that out for sure. But t- tell us more about Hatchie. So, so first of all, how's Hatchie even spelled? Like like you're gonna hatch a bird, but with an I E at the end. Hatchie. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I can say much more except for um. It's just this young woman. I think she's about 27 years old um, now. Um, yeah, I mean, everything I said it pretty much nails it. Like, if you hear it, you're going to like, oh, yeah, the Sundays and the Cocteau Twins. Or like, hmm. um, yeah, you can hear those influences very strong, strongly. Very shoegazy, dream pop, sweet, sugary, but like fuzzy, loud. My fave. I'm getting a lot of great recommendations uh, today in the record store, and I'm really appreciating that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I just I just saved this on my uh, title account to listen to because, <laughs> cool. again, it sounds like you have described perfect music, and I'm very <laughs> excited about that. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. Like uh, the first time I heard it, I was like, "Whoa, oh my god, what is this? Is amazing! Holy crap!" Uh, and it's because, yeah, it has that perfect music vibe, um, like the Sundays, the Cocteau Twins, the Cranberries, um, Ride, My Bloody Valentine, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm, I'm so not good. sure if uh, everyone that uh, visits our record store knows this, but if you go to our record store's website, which is recordstoresociety.com, I actually make a playlist of every single time we talk about our top fives. And yeah. I love that playlist. Like I, I visit it often because I, I mark down whenever anyone talks about anything. And um, it's a great way for me to catch up with all this stuff. So uh, anyone who visits our record store and listens in on our conversations, I recommend it. Go to recordstoresociety.com, check out some stuff. But in particular, check out this playlist on Spotify because it's um it's it's a treasure trove and it grows and grows and grows. Like it's Very never long. going to be a manageable size. It's... Thousands and thousands of tracks long. So anyway, I like it. I was I was literally just listening to it today when I was uh, heading out to FedEx this afternoon. So uh, I, I I don't know. I dig it, and and I nice. can't wait for this that this uh, EP that you just mentioned to be on that list so I can check it out. So it's probably tomorrow. <laughs> it's really good. Um, actually, do you guys know Tamarin? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Okay, same vibe. Mm. Same. I had the same feeling with Hatchy as I had with Tamarin. These are both two young women who kind of are fitting this whole like dream pop shoegaze um, thing. So yeah, that's not an EP. I don't think actually that's a, I wonder if that's an EP, but anyways, another one just sort of popped in my head. If you knew Tamarin, you would also like Hatchy. So but. Cool. where would you recommend that one start with Tamarin? Uh, 
Oh, what's it called? It's got like pink flowers on it on the cover, maybe. Is it Tender New Signs? It's like the first thing that came out. The waves? Um, it sounds like Lush almost. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. I'm just going to listen to all of this. Tender New Signs. <laughs> it's Tender New Signs. Yeah, the pink flowers one. Fantastic. Yeah. I have added that as well because you are, again, describing stuff that is so absurdly up my alley. Yeah. Thank you cool. for that. You're welcome. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right. Number four, which actually, Seth, I'm surprised you didn't mention anything by this band either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, from 1982, Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth. Shit. Yeah. And, it's an EP. And it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And they have a, a lot of strange EPs. Um, yeah. I actually, um, I, ha- I have a goal of owning all Sonic Youth. And holy shit, that's a hard goal. <laughs> they have put that out hard. so many strange things. I, I always find something new. And, and I bring this up because I just found a new EP of theirs that not new to me called, I believe it's called the TV Shit EP, something like that. And I just picked it up recently. I had never heard of it and I just came across it. And I'm like, all right, another one. <laughs> like this, this yeah. is never going to end. Like I, I, I thought have... I was done with my Sonic Youth collection years ago. And then like every few months, I'm like, oh, here's something else I've never even heard of. Oh, Me too. Thurston and Kim did a, uh, a, a noise album with Yoko Ono. All right. <laughs> I guess I'm getting <laughs> yeah. this now. Me too, but that's not Sonic Youth technically, I guess. Right? True, but I, I include anything that Kim and Thurston touched as Sonic Youth. I I, I don't quite give the same um, attention to all the members. I I don't give that, you know, like I don't need to find every Jim O'Rourke album. I don't find every Mark Eibold album, but I do. Lee Ronaldo has some good albums. He does. (laughs) Lee Ronaldo is one of those guys that when I was younger listening to Sonic Youth, I didn't quite understand why certain songs sounded distinctly different. And then as I got older, I'm like, that's not Thurston. (laughs) Who is this other man? (laughs) I feel like not to, not to, speak too ill of Thurston, mm-hmm. but I feel like many of us have had a process of realizing that a lot of what is great about Sonic Youth maybe has less to do with Thurston more than we may have thought initially. <laughs> I, I mean, I, th- I think looking at everyone's solo albums says a lot. And um, uh, Tara and I are huge Kim Gordon stands. I, I, I think Kim Gordon is the most important aspect of Sonic Youth. I definitely think that. And I will say... I enjoy Thurston Moore solo. I would love to write him off and never listen to him again, but he keeps putting out stuff that I enjoy. His last two in particular, I really enjoyed. So I'll hate him later. Some Someday I'll be able to just write him off and say, I don't have to buy your solo albums, old man. Fuck you. But... <laughs> But it's not true. It's not true. I, I genuinely enjoy his solo albums and I've been I've I, I've continued to buy every one. So what can I do? I named my cat Thurston. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I agree with you that I, I, I do love seeing Lee Ronaldo solo. I do love seeing yeah. Kim Gordon solo and hearing the elements that they provided to Sonic yeah, Youth. Sure. That, that's not just Thurston. Yeah, yeah, so this uh, this uh, is their debut EP, actually, and it sounds... Totally different from their their stuff after. Yeah. Um, it's a it's I mean, you can tell. It's obviously Sonic Youth and some of their songs start to drag on. You're like, okay, yeah, this is what they do. They just keep going. <laughs> um 
but the sound is different. There's less fuzz. There's less noise. It's a cleaner sound. The tuning is more standard tuning. Um, but yeah, again, you can get a sense the, of their like ramblings as the songs start to get longer and longer. Um, <clears throat> and, and then later it was released, like re-released as a CD that included a bunch of live tracks that actually predated Sonic Youth. Like there's a Kim Gordon song called um, Cosmopolitan Girl that came out before she was even in Sonic Youth or that she she recorded before she was in Sonic Youth. So, right. um, or maybe she was in... I don't know the true history of that. Maybe she was in Sonic Youth, but it was before this debut. Whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah. So anyways, had had to definitely include one of my favorite bands of all time in this in this EP list. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they have a lot of good ones. I, I believe the ones I looked at for consideration, the reason I didn't include any, I couldn't find one under 28 minutes, I think. <laughs> I think I held to that rule because even if it was just three songs, it was still 47 minutes, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think this one is only like five songs long without all the live stuff that they added later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know, like, how long of an album it is, like, in total. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm running through them all in my head right now. And uh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> good old Sonic yeah. Youth. <laughs> yeah, good old Sonic Youth. Good old Sonic Youth. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this one time um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher I really liked because he liked Interpol too. <laughs> and, um, um, oh my gosh. Uh, after, uh, after I had like Wait, graduated. in high school? Um, Interpol was a brand fucking new band when I was graduating high school. And um, then... When I came back afterwards, because he was just a cool teacher that I knew, and you know, I, I was—I can't remember why I was near him for any reason, because I didn't even live in the same town. Long story short, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, me and my pal were going up to uh, go see a Sonic Youth show." He's like, "Sonic Youth? Isn't that name ironic by now?" And I'm like, "Ouch!" <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> like, oh, sweet burn, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> I have a, a a related story that I can't not tell because it's too good. When I was in, this is, uh, you, uh, yeah, I was like, can I say that? Yeah, this story will back up that statement. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in high school, I stayed up late to watch Yola Tango on Conan O'Brien. Right, yeah. And I watched it and they were doing You Can Have It All off of I Can Hear the Heart. No, that's off of uh, Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. So Georgia was singing and not playing drums. But the person who was playing drums was my history teacher. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And I went into her office and I was like, Miss McNally, were you playing uh, drums with Yola Tango on Conan O'Brien last night? And she was because she is in a band called Sleepyhead who uh, were contemporaries of theirs and put out some some really great records on Homestead, I think. That's so um, cool. And she is very cool. And I was very intimidated by my history teacher from then on out because she is very, very cool. Yeah. That's super cool. I didn't have any cool teachers like that. I, I, I have not, to give this a one. A teacher one more shout out because he's the man that introduced me to the new year and bedhead. Oh, wow. Which I, I, I still consider to, uh, in, in particular uh, both those bands as one of my, amongst my favorites. And uh, without, without that, Fucking high school teacher. Who knew that just some high school teacher could introduce you to something so cool and can take the time that, that he I, I believe he lent me um, the latest um, 
New Year album, which I believe was Newness Ends, maybe at the time. Anyway, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And he was just like, here, you, you should check this out. And I like ripped it onto my computer or whatever. And it's just like, what a cool guy to do this for some dumb <laughs> teenage kid who doesn't know shit about fuck, you know? <laughs> like, nice guy. Number three. Okay. This is the one I mentioned this to Matt. I don't, I don't think this is actually an EP, like the more that I looked into it, but, uh, once you hear the title, you're going to see why I think it's an EP. Um, but yeah, arguably not from 2005 from the band fiery furnaces, the album EP. Drink whiskey at the bar. Yeah, I, I can tell you now I mean, that this was on my EP. short Come list, on. and I had to I had to cut it off. I had to say no. You I are cannot. it's what forty five minutes, and it's got forty one like, minutes in length. Yeah, and how many tracks? <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of tracks. It's an LP. <laughs> it's called EP though, so I'm just like whatever. Fuck it, I'm keeping it because I knew I remember this earlier. How I was saying, you know, like I can't ever remember which one's an EP and which one's not. This one's called EP, so I was like, yeah, I know, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, and you're right. It is epic as hell. It's it's so good. It's so good. So many great songs. And, and it is kind of like these songs are on other albums. Like it's like some of their other songs from other albums, like B-side songs. Yeah. Um, it, it's, but then it's more new, like a collection like, of B-sides and yeah. rarities than anything yeah. else. And yeah. I actually really dig it for that reason. Because that means there's a lot of really strange stuff on there. Like um, Sing For Me. It's that one song mm-hmm. where like Matt has like full blown lead vocals and it's like actually yeah. kind of poppy and kind of girl groupy. And it's like, I, actually, okay, here's ready, ready for like something really dumb that I did. And this is very telling of the kind of piece of shit I was at a younger age. <laughs> sure. I would like to think I've changed, but maybe I haven't. I had a friend who did not like the fiery furnaces. And so, Shocker. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and no matter what, I could not get him to, uh, uh, to listen to them. And so what I did is, um, I, I said, Hey, you got to check this out. I, I, here's this new band. I probably made up a fake band name. That's how much of a piece of shit I was or am who knows. And I put the CD on and I played sing for me from, from EP by the fiery furnaces uh-huh. because it sounds so dislike. It doesn't sound like them. It yeah. doesn't sound like them. It's much cleaner, much easier to kind of like absorb. It's and, um, he was like, oh, no, this is really good. I'm like, it's the fiery furnaces. I've tricked you. And I was like, what a, what a shitty, stupid thing Wah-ha-ha. to do. Yeah. And like, what do I get out of that? If he doesn't like the fiery furnaces, he doesn't like the fiery furnaces. It shouldn't affect me in the least. But I, I concocted this big plan to get him. It's like, aha, you've said you like them now. I, I would I would suggest that maybe if you have to trick someone into liking a band, the band is not that good. It's it's understandable. And that's all I'm going to say about that. My I have Tara and I where, will enormously disagree with that. Fire yeah. furnaces are very important. <laughs> I have not, this thing where I'm like I I defy like I stand by my hatred for Ween the band mm, Ween. Odd. Okay. Which, uh, oh, I think I that's know. totally fair, and I I I could never. I feel like the thing with Ween is people who love Ween will yell at you they relentlessly about Ween. why you can't hate Ween. But if you've ever had the experience of being at a Ween show and a like 
55 year old man elbowing you in the face to reach his alien head bong that he somehow <laughs> managed to get into Irving Plaza that that is enough to hate Ween forever or just not liking them they're a band and, that and you cannot like because all bands are a band that you cannot yeah like. and they have songs that don't sound like Ween in my opinion right, that are right, like yeah. n- nice songs lovely songs probably kind of sound like uh, the zombies like lovely kind mm-hmm. of beautiful rock maybe psychedelic but then they have you know up shit creek with a turd for a paddle song and piss up a rope and I'm just like why pick yeah, a lane anyway. Ween <laughs> pick a lane <laughs> yeah sorry uh, fiery furnaces though that's my this was my entry point to the fiery furnaces actually mm. and as soon as I heard this EP, the album is called EP, I became an immediate fan. Uh, I think I read about them in, um, what's the magazine set that we talked about recently? And I was like, oh yeah, that's the magazine. Oh, uh, Under the Radar. Under the Radar magazine. Yeah. Yes, I think I read about this album from that magazine. Um, but yeah, such a good, good, good album. Good oh, yeah. EP. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to revisit that because I feel that I did not give the Fiery Furnaces a fair shake. And I, in keeping with the general theme of my hopefully being less uh, obnoxious than I was a <laughs> decade or decades ago, I am fully ready to to give it another shot, especially coming in through a record that is not Blueberry Boat, which I was not a big fan of. Oh, yeah. So, it can be um, tricky. Blueberry Boat can be tricky. But like this one, I mean, when you have that one song, it's like single again or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of electronic-y. And then you have Evergreen, which is just a lovely song. Right. So lovely. Check it out. All right. I dang, will. that's number three. We're flying through my list. Uh, number two is, I feel maybe a little bit predictable, especially after hearing what number five was. Um, and that is from 1990, the band My Bloody Valentine, the EP Glider. I was wondering if you were going to go tremolo or glider. I had both on the list. Had to go with glider. <laughs> well, the funny thing I to me. it on 45. You know how it came out? collected as like a single LP, you know, where it, I, I, what did they even call it? Did they just call it my bloody Valentine EPs or what did they call it? Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. That's the only version I have. It EP collection? Yeah, yeah. I see. I have all of the my bloody Valentine EPs collected into one single LP. Oh. And so because of that, I don't know where one stops and the other begins. <laughs> it's all just one big album to me, which is great. I mean, th- there is no bad My Bloody Valentine, which is quite an amazing feat. Like for them to have taken such huge gaps between recording music and to have a 100% track record, it's pretty unheard of. They're they're a they're a remarkable band. Huh. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't know what that collection is called. I'm going to pull up my but, uh, uh, my, uh, my iPod while you please talk. <laughs> but both um, a, a lot of the songs from Tremolo and a lot of the songs from Glider are on Loveless. That's not what you have, right? I'm, I mean, I'm you probably have that. My iPod? I am scrolling as fast as I can. Your iPod? Cool. Yes. Man, <laughs> I am still rocking my classic iPod. The day it Amazing. dies will be so sad. You I need to back that shit up. Like I don't. Now. No, no. I back everything up monthly. Okay, <laughs> I have I, once a month. I have an external, um, I think, five terabyte um, external hard drive where I back up my music perpetually. Uh, lots of copies keep stuff safe. Uh, that's you very know, important. It's funny. I wish this is maybe dumb of me, but I kind of wish I had an iPod. I don't listen to songs on my phone though, unless it's like Spotify 
in the car. Um, but I feel yeah. like I would more if I had an iPod. I, 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 can, I don't know. Why. I can only speak from my own personal experience. Having an iPod is very, very important because mm. at least for me, there's a, an enormous part of my personal music library, which is not streaming anywhere. And so because of that, what am I not going to listen to those albums? No, yeah. I, I have to. They're, they're the albums I love. So if I'm, you know, for example, I, I, I in the normal times, ride my bike to work every morning. So I'm only going to listen to albums that the man tells me are streaming while I ride my bike? No, I have so many things I got to listen to. So, so anyway, <laughs> this is this is my stance. I'm now going to secede the rest of my time. I but I did find what I was talking about. Oh, okay. What's it called? Uh, it's called EPs 1988 through 1991. And that is, oh. that's my collection. And it's, uh, gosh, I think it's two discs. I'm looking at it right now. Yes, it is two discs, uh, 24 tracks. So it's huge. It's all the EP material all combined into one. But anyway, nice. but because of that, I don't have an experience with the My Bloody Valentine EPs as EPs. I only experience hmm. them in a big old chunk. Kind of like uh, Fiery Furnace's EP, where it's not really an EP. It's just a collection, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have this um, 45 which actually you were talking about like when did EPs kind of pop off? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think in the fifties when 45s became sort of the, the like uh, competition with LPs, but there was also when this, that sort of started. There was a long up. moment when people had a hard time fitting more than a very specific amount of time. I would almost say, and I don't know, this is just me thinking facts in my head that the 10 inch record not 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 like the ten inch mm -hmm. seventy two RPM, but the ten inch thirty three and a third RPM was the birth of the EP because that's when you could actually fit more than two songs, but not as many as an LP. Anyway, this is a long complex history that I'm yeah. sure someone knows very well, but I don't. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I have this for this forty five, um, or is it a forty five? Maybe it's a. Shit, now I may be wrong. I'm just thinking of the square thing that it comes in. Anyway, uh, so it has, so Glider has the song Soon on it, mm -hmm. which Kevin Shields uses his whole like glider guitar technique where right. mm -hmm. um, person like strums and holds the vibrato, vibrato bar, which causes the like pitch to waver a little bit. Is that why it's called Glider? Also, is that why Tremolo is called Tremolo? Uh, my my would, guess would be I that guess. these were like placeholder names that they just like wrote down in the studio yeah. and then they never came up with anything better. So that that's just what it became. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, huge fan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I never made it past Loveless because mm -hmm. that album imprinted on me so hard that I have just never, you know, when that happens when like you hear an album at such a formative time and it just mm -hmm. imprints on you to the point where it's hard to imagine yourself listening to anything else by that artist because whenever I want to listen to My Bloody Valentine, I just remember being 16, I was in high school and I was madly in love with a girl who went to another high school. And I would sit and listen to that album and wait for her to leave her high school. Um, and like, it just burned itself into my brain. Yeah. And it's like an instant, just super nostalgic flashback thing for me. So I've never, I've like spent no time with, isn't anything. I've spent no mm. time with the EPs. I just always go back to Loveless because it's like 
one of those super formative records that just 100% brings me back to a place and a time and a feeling. That's, that's, I, I absolutely have those sensations too. But yeah. then, then I also get um, guilt that I'm missing out on something. And then I, I feel like an obligation to make sure that I'm a completionist and I've heard everything, not only before, but heard it all in equal amounts. I'm a monster. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, because of that, I on the bright side, the new stuff is great. I, I, uh, Matt, I can highly it's recommend so MBV, yeah. their latest album. Man, oh man, it's so good. And I did listen to a little of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and what clicked for me listening to that because I, I I like spent a lot of time obsessing over the guitar techniques of of Kevin Shields and like what he does. Right. And what finally clicked for me on the new album is that like the genius of of the mixing of a My Bloody Valentine record is that the dynamic range of the guitars is greater than the dynamic range of the drums, which yeah. is the exact wrong way to mix rock music. Like if you read anything about how to mix rock music, or you listen to like especially anything from the 90s that Andy Wallace mixed where it's just like kick and snare super up front and then the guitars hanging back. That's kind of the right way to mix a rock record. Mm-hmm. I'm making air quotes, which you can't <laughs> see if you're listening to this. But the brilliance of, of My Bloody Valentine, aside from the songs themselves, is that like the dynamics come from the guitar and the drums are kind of in one plane behind the guitar. And I cannot think of any other music that functions that way spatially. Um, it's just totally different and so cool and so compelling. Yeah. I'm, I'm also surprised. I have not seen them live, but Tara has. Oh hearing, my God, it was the loudest show I've ever been to. <laughs> hearing the description of their live show is fascinating to me. And I'm very sad that I'll probably never get to see them live. But, Don't um, say that. Yeah, I mean, they, they have claimed <laughs> that they're working on their next album. So maybe they'll go on another tour. Maybe, I hope, you know. It sounded beautifully like just beautiful i mean besides the fact that it was so loud and i could only really listen to them with headphones or with with earplugs um i mean they sounded i'm sure like they did in the 90s it was so good yeah i i I look forward to the hope that i could see them live someday but but yeah it's funny how you're describing how matt you're describing their production style and tara you're describing their live style and it's funny that they they both do seem to match but it is still very backwards and strange. And and actually, huh, now that I'm thinking about it, Tara, I wonder if the only way they can accomplish their album sound is by being way too loud in person. Like, that's the only way they mm. can make their guitars be loud enough to actually sound like they have the, the, same, the, drums. Yeah, the same balance to the drums in real life. Mm. I don't oh. know enough about the mechanics of, like, live sound to say but that kind of makes sense to me i think yeah interesting i love it then we're having so many great fun conversations today i know i could (laughs) go on for days (laughs) good stuff Uh, well i am at the end of my list and i think it's a really exciting ep i think Mm -hmm. you you're you're both gonna just crack up uh it's funny it's amazing um really impacted me as a teenager so 1994 band is alice in chains EP is Jar of Flies. If I need sitting by myself, no excuses that I know. Nice. Wow. I love it. <laughs> now, I mean, who cares if anything's technically an EP? We're way beyond that at no, this point. It is, is that technically an EP? It's technically an EP. Well, 
I mean, I think pretty sure. In, in my head, Hold I always on. consider that an album, but I'm sure I'm wrong about that now. Um, I'm pretty sure it's just an EP. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you're it's right. qualified as an EP, but again, I just don't know how long. The yeah. Oh, it's 30 minutes long. So technically, it's not because it's supposed to max out at 28. Anyway, that's not important. 28 versus th- oh my god, that's not important. Like, come that's on, maybe important. there's like a f- fade in time is a little yeah. bit long on one, so it's like not actually music until then. But but, but that like, would be very 90s. Yeah. Have like two minutes of just like silence, just like silence, and like maybe a little static. Just getting I you mean, real, real primed up for it. Because mostly I think about all the great things that I consider an LP that's only 30 minutes long. Like, um, let's say the Blue Album uh, yeah. by Weezer. That's a 30-minute album. album. Yeah. And that's a fucking album, you know? Or it's anything great. by the Ramones, you know? Anyway, anyway. They <laughs> this, called this one an EP. I, I know. Um, I, I buy it. I mean, the Fire Furnace is called that an EP, and it was 40-something minutes. They called that one an minutes. EP, and it's 41 <laughs> minutes. But it's what stuck with me, that name, EP. But this one, yeah, uh um, this is also my entry point to Alice in Chains. And I actually was, I was visiting my dad for the summer, um, one year and it was like my formative years when I was 14 and he was in the Navy and he lived with a bunch of dudes and they were all single. And I was like, what do I, what do I do here? Like besides watch the real world right. on the TV, which I guess was off. So I needed something to do. Um, and I was just playing solitaire on the computer because it's built in. Thank you, Windows 90, Windows, not 95 because it was 94. Uh, maybe it was 95. Who knows? Uh, anyways, uh, I was like, I need music to listen to. And one of the dudes gave me Red Hot Chili Peppers and Alice in Chains, you know, some some dude rock. But mm-hmm. this Alice in Chains CD like really hit me. I was like, hell yeah, this is cool. And I was playing solitaire and listening to Jar of Flies. But yeah, it's crazy because apparently like they had just gotten off the tour where they played Lollapalooza or something. And they were like, you know, when when you get off tour, you don't want to blast like loud guitars and bang on the drums as, loud, as as hard as you can. So they wanted to do something a little bit more low key. And uh, um, they like recorded it all really fast. They wrote all these songs while they're on tour in the bus and then recorded it in like a week in Seattle. And um it won a Grammy. It went triple platinum. It's like, you know, only like what five songs or something hmm. for something to go like most of the songs to go like to be famous. Yeah. Stay yeah. away. Wait, three, three singles. Stay away. No excuses. And don't follow. Man. It's no, it, album. it's, it's, it's a punch in the face for sure. It's so good. Yeah. Also, I just, re- I read something pretty crazy um, about the whole, like the title jar of flies in the picture. Apparently, Jerry Cantrell, uh, when he was in third grade, did this science experiment with flies in a jar to see how long they would live if one jar full of flies, if they were overfed versus another jar of flies that was underfed. The jar of flies that was overfed, they um, they started to reproduce rapidly and then sort of overcrowded themselves. So they all started to die. They all died. And then, but the flies that were underfed managed to live like an entire year in this jar. And apparently it was like very impactful to him as a kid. He like never forgot them. It was third grade. He was probably like nine years old, like looking at these jars of flies, like where one is overfed and just dies overpopulation. And then the other, doesn't yeah i can see how that can be kind of twisted thing to experience as a kid 
Yeah. And it's also weird, too, because I've heard similar studies about human beings. So that's kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's definitely something there yeah. with, our, with our own society. Weird. Like I, I, I love yeah. it, though. I'm like the overfed flies in the jar dying first doesn't bode well for me in quarantine, but we'll see how this all. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! This all shapes. On the don't bright reproduce. side, yeah. <laughs> and you know we're we're we're, we're, we're we, there's a light at the end of the tunnel at this point. I hope. I I, I hope. I hope. I hope. I I I'm feeling more optimistic about this pandemic right now than any other time. I hope. Good. I'm I'm gonna knock wood and leave it at that because yes. I have yeah. been in a deep depression for the last couple of weeks. No, I, so. yeah. I follow you. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But great list. That's, that's great list. That's some really Thanks. good stuff. Let it rock on that one. <laughs> the, the next thing we should do is uh, quickly run through our, uh, our 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 short lists. Our also rands. Oh yeah. I fucking yeah. have so many. I have so many. I, I'm just gonna and run through all mine different real genres. Quick. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, the two that were like, actually though, there were a lot that were written off immediately just because the rules, big one was fiery <laughs> furnaces EP. Another big one was the friend EP by grizzly bear too long, mm-hmm. way too long. <laughs> um, another one that was like the right length, but too many tracks. Um, I'll knit your hair into a sweater by Penelope Gazin. So fucking good. Um, Tierra Wack. I don't know that. It's great. Uh, Tierra Wack, her EP Wack World. It's only 20 minutes, but it's 20 songs. So I couldn't, wow. I couldn't call that an EP, but that's really, really good. Um, a huge one I love is um, Delirium and Dark Waters by The Tsunamis. This is one of those EPs that multiple people have said to me after they've heard me play it. Hey, what's that green spooky one? And I go, oh, you're talking about Delirium and Dark Waters by The Tsunamis. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just one that it's easy to fall in love with. Um, the Satisfaction loves Stevie Wonder. Uh, it's a great one. Oh, there's this great Islands EP called Bonus Mini EP that is better than mm-hmm. most Islands albums, which is huh. a lot because Islands, I think, is a very good band. Um, Milo takes baths by Milo. It's this, it's this EP where he just stole a whole bunch of beats from baths. Really great. <laughs> oh, that's kind of like the prefuse reads the books. Exactly. Um, 73 takes songs from the books. This album was slightly too long, but damn it. I wanted to include it. Uh, Joanna Newsom and the East street band EP. Fuck. I oh. love that EP. So good. <laughs> Um, let's see. There were a couple of Animal Collective ones, the People EP in particular. It's got this song on there called Tickwood that I adore. Um, let's see, Born Ruffians, uh, self-titled EP, Coconuts, Plenty of Junk Food by Coco Rosie, uh, the Prospect Hummer EP by Animal Collective, uh, Keys to the Cuffs, the Butter Version by JJ Doom, uh, Trouble Knows Me by Madlib. Oh my gosh, I'm going so far and so long. I apologize. I'm going to go so much faster. The Dark Wave EP by Stephen Malcolmus, <laughs> Sabonis, self-titled, True by Solange, uh, the Bella Sessions by Bauhaus. This, this list is ending. Oh, I have to stop. You don't have to, don't have to list all of them. <laughs> I, I have to stop. I'm looking it's at like my list right EP now. every EP ever in history. He's These are just the ones I love. And it's so it's such a long list. Wow. But, I, I only just listed the ones I could remember as being EPs or even thought I remember. This is why I had EPs. to make that really strict list for myself of the like, right. has to be three to seven tracks, has to be under 28 minutes. Because I, I just have such an enormous list. Anyway. Okay, anyway. let me do mine. Mine is a Yeji EP two broadcast extended play two King Cruel. I mentioned I was going to put King Cruel on this list, but since I mentioned this exact album in another thing, uh, I left it off. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-titled, James Blake, CMYK, Bikini Kill, Bikini Kill. Yeah. The debut AP. And then uh, Blonde Redhead, Melody, Syntronic EP. Wonderful. That's all uh, I have. Thanks. How about you, Matt? You got any uh, that you wanted to include? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, the Low and Dirty 3 in the Fish Tank EP, which was part of a collaborative series of EPs that has their cover of Neil Young's Down by the River, which is very, mm. very good. Um, the first three EPs going back to the EPs compiled onto a record, the first three EPs by the beta band and by yeah. Clinic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah. are all EPs, though. I don't think very many people experienced them as EPs. Right. I certainly didn't No, it, um, it wasn't until I saw the movie high fidelity and they played the, in that moment. And I went, this is a great song. And then I tracked it down after that. <laughs> that was one of those weird moments for me where I was like, What's happening right now? Because I was into that album at the time. Mm. Also, another band that I went and saw live, and there was this guy next to me who just kept going, <laughs> one time, during every offbeat and oh, every no. beta band song. Oh, my and gosh. That was very unpleasant. It's awful. Um, <laughs> Broken Social Scene, the EP to be you and me EP, the bonus EP from the self-titled. That's a great which one. Which has uh, Canada versus America, which is maybe my favorite Broken Social Scene song, and has the fast version of Major Label Debut, yeah. which mm. has one of my top five favorite drum fills ever, which is just uh, 16th note triplets on the rack, Tom. Just love it. Fully agree. Um, and, yeah. and one that I that is arguably a single, not an EP, but I cannot not plug the Summer Smash EP by Denim. Hmm. Uh, Denim is the post-Felt project of Lawrence from Felt. Um, all those Felt records, which got reissued recently, are amazing. Uh, Forever Breathes the Lonely Word, in particular, all-timer. After Felt, which was very like serious young man music, he went on to make hmm. Denim, which was just like just almost parody music, but not quite. Um the song Denim on the record Denim on Ice is great, but after Denim on Ice, which was a flop and a very expensive flop, uh, he made this EP or single called Summer Smash. The song Summer Smash is about how the song itself is going to be the big smash of the summer. Oh. And he's going to go away on vacation because he wrote a song about the summer. Um, wow. And the second it's, I couldn't count it as an EP because the B-sides are such throwaways, mm -hmm. but they're such perfect dripping with spite throwaways. <laughs> There's one called Suns Out, which is also almost a meme in my household, <laughs> which is just like this awful synth sound. And it's like, wah, wah. he goes, sun's out. Everyone's smiling because the sun's out. He's not even trying to sing on key. It's just <laughs> a, a perfect throwaway um, and it's terrible there's a song i still can't actually find the first denim album anywhere but there is a song on it called middle of the road which you can find which is him just listing all the greats of rock and roll and telling you why he hates them <laughs> and um it's it's fantastic denim on ice is the the, the record i would recommend it is so it is just a, a magnificent uh, the first song on that is called The Great Pub Rock Revival, and he's just relentlessly shit-talking Reckless Eric and all these other pub rock guys. And Reckless Aww. Eric had a response track called Lawrence of Arabia on Ice, where the chorus is, You little junkie, you little twat, I hope that you die. <laughs> it's one of my favorite feuds because it's like, 
the power of just trolling and not caring is that you will get that outsized response. Like he totally trolled Reckless Eric into making a great angry song. And uh, that's that's me talking about the bandanum for too long. I love it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. This is why you're one of our favorite customers. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, we, we definitely have to close the store. We've been up. Yeah. We've, we've had the store open at least a half hour longer than we should have. Sorry to keep you past closing. No, it's it's totally fine. Because that's this, this is what we want. This is, this is all we ever want from this record store is fun music talk and fun music tangents. And, and Matt, it's thanks to you that we've had an excellent evening uh, staying out later than we should have tonight. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank there, you so much. Yeah. There's one you. last thing we have to do before we go, which is our employee recommendation shelf. This is uh, us just putting something up for the customers to know that what we're enjoying right now. Mine is coming from an EP that I wanted to include. It's called uh, Enjoyed the Experience by J-Rock. And it is a spinoff of a spinoff. So basically, long story short, there's an amazing book that I love called Enjoy the Experience, Homemade Records, 1958 through 1992. It's just one of my favorite books, period. And all it is, it's a collection and an appreciation of all of these self-released records back in a time when it was extremely difficult to release your own record. I mean, 1958, mm -hmm. imagine how hard it would have been to make your own album, record it, release it, get it published, get it printed, make, make a sleeve. Now it, it's still hard today. And it's, you know, it is 2021. It is still very difficult to get an album independently published and, and printed and manufactured. Imagine the difficulty in 1958. So anyway, this is a book compiling all of the interesting, just, just offbeat records that have been released from 1958 through 1992 by independent weirdos doing their best just to get their music out there. And it's wonderful. And it uh, comes with a compilation album, which is two LPs, and it's just called Enjoy the Experience that just kind of like cherry picks the most interesting from those releases. And then J-Rock went through that compilation, found his favorite tracks, and remixed them into an EP that is just wonderful called Enjoyed the Experience. So um, you can just pick up this whole thing as a package. You can find it online. Just Google it. Or you can come here into the record store and buy it. That's what I would recommend. But uh, that's, what I, that's what I say. If you look up Enjoy the Experience, Homemade Records, 1958 through 1992, you'll find the whole shebang. It comes in a wonderful little package. It's great. Tara, how about you? My recommendation is something that I just found today mm. um, from uh, Sweat Records Records. <gasps> yeah. Uh, Debbie Deb. Yes, the Lookout Weekend. Here we come when I hear music. Debbie Deb. Freestyle. <laughs> 80s. Um, Debbie Deb. The song is called Everybody's Jammin'. Um, and apparently, I guess this record label found this archive of hers and re-released it on vinyl. Um, and I had never heard this song before. So when I found it, I was like, oh my God, a new Debbie Deb song. But like in the 2000s, 
Wow. Okay. So <clears throat> yeah, Debbie Deb, everybody's jamming. I, I, I awesome. remember you sharing this with me this morning and me being introduced to Debbie Deb, period. I had <laughs> never heard of her. And then our, our friend, Scott, the mailman, uh, pointed out that uh, it sounds like the kind of music that would be playing in the max during an episode of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> and I was all about that. This is, I, I learned a lot about Debbie Deb this morning. Oh, and actually, I should let people know. It, it all happened on our Discord. Uh, again, mm-hmm. go visit our our um, our record store's website, recordstoresociety.com, and join our Discord. It's a lot of fun. A lot of music nerds just talking music all day. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's also in our Instagram profile as well. Yes, exactly. Link. Uh, profile link. Uh, good times. Good times amongst music nerds. Uh, now, now, Matt, yes. I know you don't work here, but I would love to have you throw something up on the wall. What's What's something you're enjoying right now? Sure. So there's a, a label called International Anthem, and I've just been buying everything they put out because everything they put out is incredible. Um, not just incredible musically, but also the aesthetics of the records are really, it's just like perfect objects and perfect records presented perfectly. Mm. And um, my favorite thing they put out in the last couple of years was uh, by Damon Locks. He has a new project called Black Monument Ensemble. Damon Locks was in uh, Trenchmouth a long time ago, the band that is, uh, for better or worse, best known as the band where Fred Armisen was the drummer, <laughs> right. but uh, <gasps> deserves better than that, I think. Right. Um, he was also in a band called The Eternals, who uh, put out uh, some great records on DeSoto that I still listen to often. Um, there's a new Black Monument Ensemble record that was recorded outdoors last year and you can hear just that that you can hear the outdoor sounds and the night sounds and it is coming out soon it is available for pre-order on Bandcamp on the international anthem Bandcamp, and i just recommend everything that they put out it feels really nice to have a label like that again where Mm. like it's been a long time since there's been a label where i'm just like whatever they put out i will just purchase without thinking about it yeah um so kudos to international anthem i mean you nailed it they they put out some amazing stuff. And I actually have talked about this before. Uh, Force Majeure, Desron Douglas and Brandy, uh, Brandy mm-hmm. Younger. Uh, they were on my, like, in my top 20, top albums of 2020 list. But also, so was Jeff Parker, Sweet for Max Brown, which is an international anthem record. And also, Makai McRaven um, mm-hmm. did the whole, like, uh, uh uh, Gil Scott Heron remake or re like rethought these songs through. So, um, yeah, man, they put out some amazing stuff. Highly recommend everything from them as well. Well, you know, Matt, we've had such a great time here with you today, and we didn't even get around to talking about your thirty-three and a third book because <laughs> I I have an enormous love hate relationship with the thirty-three and a third series, and I just wanted to talk all about it. But there's no time. There's no time. We can't. We can't do it. So we're gonna have another to- time. I'll be back. This is yeah. a great. This is a great record store. I, I'm sure you'll be seeing me again next time you're in here. We're gonna talk thirty-three and a third books, and in particular, we're gonna talk about yours. And thanks for coming in again. Uh, everyone else, thanks again. Yeah. Everyone else here in the store, thank you for visiting us. We appreciate you. If you want more information about what happens here at the record store, visit recordstoresociety.com. That'll that'll tell you everything. And you're wonderful people. We love you all, but you got to go. So, thanks for coming in today. We're officially closed. Happy trails everyone. Until we meet again.
Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Looking for a way to make some quick cash? Well, making money with DoorDash is super easy, guys. I love riding my bike around the city, and now I get to do that while getting paid. With DoorDash, I get to pick my own hours and be my own boss. I get paid on my deliveries and keep 100% of my tips. Not to mention the sign-up process was so quick and easy. Guys, I'm telling you, just download the DoorDash driver app and see how easy it is to start earning cash today. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.